All right, if you would go ahead, turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11 will be our text this morning. Now, I know that a bunch of us grew up in church. Uh, Many of you, like me, you were raised in a pew. Uh, You took communion every Sunday morning growing up, and that's just normal to you. But I know that there's a bunch of us who are here this morning who didn't grow up in church. Um, and that a lot of this is brand new to you, and this is not something that you're, you're very used to. Uh, so I want to talk about a few terms that some of you know, and you, you've done this all your life, but for some of you this will be new, uh, so bear with me. Uh, but this is what we're talking about this morning. It's the Lord's Supper, as the first term we use to describe the ceremony we just did, right, where we pass the, the crackers and the juice and we go through this process. Okay, and we call it the Lord's Supper. Because we read in the Gospels, we read in our text this morning, about how Jesus himself instituted this meal, right? This is his supper. Okay, we do this every Sunday, recognizing that it's really not about us, but it's about Jesus, right? So it's the Lord's Supper. Another term we often use to talk about this is communion. Okay, and we also call it communion because we're talking about communing with God, right? We've sang lots of songs this morning about how God is here with us, and part of what we're doing is having a relationship with God this morning. Also, we recognize in communion this is something that we're doing with each other. Uh, there's a great communion that's happening, and not just with us here, but with Christians all over the world who are participating in this ceremony together, and so we call it communion. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Uh, another term that we use that we don't often use in, in Churches of Christ, but that you may have heard elsewhere, uh, is the term Eucharist. Okay, you've heard that term before? Some of you have, okay. Uh, you hear this in Catholic churches or Episcopalian or Orthodox, Presbyterian, those kind of churches. Okay, and this is a word that comes from a Greek word meaning thanksgiving. Okay, and all this means is that we are taking this meal and we do so in a way that is showing our gratitude, our thanksgiving for the gift of Jesus Christ. Right, when we come to this table, we do so thanking God for our freedom purchased by the body and blood of his son Jesus. Now, all of these terms are referring to the same Christian ritual that forms one of the pillars of our worship service. We may have talked about this before, but the early Christians, they always talked about how there were two pillars of worship. Okay, when we come together to worship, we do so um, in the service of the word and the service of the table. Okay, you start by hearing a word from God, and then we have this communion meal with God, and all of worship is structured around hearing from God and communing with God. Okay, what we do as we gather around this service of the table, it matters. So, notice in our text this morning, uh, Paul addresses this because what was supposed to be for them a uniting issue became a dividing issue for the church in Corinth. Uh, This is starting in verse 17. He says, In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. I think this next verse is sarcasm, by the way. And this is what Paul says. He says, No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So, then when you come to eat together, it is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you are eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers. As a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? 
Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. Right, if you're taking notes this morning, here's the first thing I want you to write down. I left you some slots on the front of your bulletin. But that is the Lord's Supper. It's supposed to be one of our greatest symbols of unity. Okay, everybody comes around the same table. Uh, we partake of this one meal together symbolizing peace and freedom, salvation, redemption, thanksgiving. Okay, Jesus is our host and we all come together at his table. Communion is a remarkable expression of our unity. Uh, and yet, ironically, if we look at the history of the church, even starting all the way back in the first century in this text, we see that what was supposed to be one of our greatest symbols of unity has often been the thing that we fought about more than anything else. Again, in our text this morning, we read about even in the very first church, they couldn't get communion right, and instead it became a thing of division. Um, throughout church history, you know, this is one of the central conflicts that has, has divided churches throughout time. You look at the Reformation, right? You've heard of the, the big Reformation. They just had Reformation Day a couple weeks ago where uh, churches all over celebrated the Reformation. Okay, when guys like Luther and Calvin and Zwingli, they broke off from the Catholic Church and you had the big Middle Ages Reformation. Okay, one of the biggest issues that they fought about was about communion. Okay, and they didn't just fight about it with the Catholic Church. They fought about it with each other. How exactly does communion work? Is it literally the body and blood of Jesus? Okay, who gets to preside over the table? Does everybody get to take communion or not? Okay, is it a sacrament through which we receive grace? Or is it just a memorial? Okay, and what are we supposed to say when we take it? Because you want to get the words right to make sure that it counts. Okay, I think we should probably start six different denominations because we can't agree on our symbol of unity. Okay, which is basically what they did. In the American movement that eventually led to Churches of Christ, it largely started over disagreements about who could partake of communion. Okay, uh, there was a guy, Alexander Campbell, you may have heard of him before, who very famously um, at his Presbyterian church in Scotland back at the time, they gave a literal theological test that you had to pass before you could get a token, and then you could take that to go take communion. Okay? Aren't you glad you didn't have to take a test this morning? Right? And very famously, Alexander Campbell took his communion token, and as he was walking into the church to take communion, he saw all the people that didn't pass their test that were wanting to get in, wanting to take communion. And as he's passing all of them, he said, this is not right. And quite famously, he threw his token down and walked out of church without taking communion that Sunday. Okay? He eventually comes over to America um, and is part of the unity movement that began that eventually leads to Churches of Christ. Okay? Largely, it was about communion. But then, even in the churches that became churches of Christ, we argued quite hard about communion. Okay? The first big argument in our movement was whether or not to have open communion or closed communion. Okay? Open meaning everybody gets to come in and take it. Closed meaning no, only members who are baptized can take it. Okay? Churches split over it. Right? Early in the 20th century... The big argument was about whether or not it was okay to have individual plastic cups or whether we all had to drink out of one cup. Hey, by the way, I have decided we're going to go back to just one cup. That way, more of you will try to sit towards the front. See? We could do this. Again, churches split over this issue. 
Uh, during Prohibition, most churches switched from real wine to using grape juice. And lots of people thought, well, that's unbiblical. Okay? After all, if wine was good enough for Paul, it should be good enough for me. Um, actually, the church that I was the preacher at before we moved here in Dallas, Texas, um, they still had the charter that they had to get from the government to be able to make real wine during Prohibition so they could use it for communion. Okay? They had to go and prove that they weren't using this for boozing. They were using this for, for God. Right? It was a thing. Churches split. Okay, then, whenever we finally got air conditioning in all of our churches, uh, most churches took the white cloth that used to be over the communion, and they took the cloth away because we didn't need it to keep off flies anymore. Okay, because now we have air conditioning, we can shut all the windows. And again, a lot of people got bent out of shape because we're supposed to have a white cloth on the communion, don't you know? Again, churches split over it. So we've taken something throughout history, supposed to be a symbol of peace and unity in the kingdom of God, and we've used it for division. Okay, and I think that the reason that communion tends to be such a contentious issue uh, is because it's central. Right? We recognize that coming to the Lord's table matters more than some other things. Right? It doesn't really matter what color the carpet is. It doesn't matter whether you're in pews or chairs. Lots of things we can talk about that don't really matter all that much. But we recognize that when we come around the Lord's table, that matters. Right? I want to get that right. Okay? I want to do it the way that God intended me to do it. I know that this is an important part of my spiritual development. It's an important part of my spiritual life. I want to make sure that I'm doing this correctly. Right? We recognize that there is a link between our communion and the gospel itself. This is about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We know how important it is. And honestly, I want to get the connection with God that I'm supposed to get when I come to this table. Okay, so how do we do that? Right, well, as we're looking at our text this morning, I want to start by saying, how did they miss it? Right, what was the problem that was going on in Corinth before then we can address how do we make sure that we're getting it right today? Okay, so what was the problem in Corinth um, communion in the early church was certainly not just a snip of cracker and a shot of Welch's. Okay, that's not what they were doing. Uh, it was part of the Passover feast, right? Communion comes directly out of Passover. We see that from Jesus in the Gospels. Okay, and it was a full meal celebrating our salvation. Now, how many of you think that when you feast, you try to get the smallest amount of food possible? Okay, um, now Thanksgiving's coming up in a few weeks. How many of you are going to have a Thanksgiving feast in which the object of the game is to eat as little food as possible? I know better, right? No, when you feast, you feast, right? You're celebrating the abundance of what God has done, right? So when they gathered around the table to take communion, they were feasting. Also, in Paul's world, in the ancient world, uh, rich people and poor people didn't usually eat together. Okay? Larger estates would typically have a smaller room that was off of the main room that was their formal dining room, and that's where rich people would eat, and then all of the slaves and the servants would just have to eat in the common room without a nice table. 
Now, whenever Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, they were meeting in homes. They didn't have church buildings. And so what was probably happening is they would meet in some rich person's home because it would be big enough to accommodate everybody. And the rich people liked to get there early, and they would bring all of their food like rich people do. And they would go eat in the formal dining room like rich people are supposed to. And all the common people, the, you know, the folks that weren't rich, they would eat in the common room just like everybody in the ancient world did. And everybody thought that's how you do it, Right? Rich people eat over here. Poor people eat over here. We've seen this before in every other context we've ever been in. Why would it be different when we come to church? Rich people were eating in one room, poor in the other. And I think Paul sees this going on, and he says, okay, so if this is your communion, then instead of that being a unifying event, it is something that demonstrates the divide between the rich and the poor. And so what I want us to notice um, is it in our passage this week is just like the passage we studied last week, the first half of 1 Corinthians 11, where Paul says the problem with your worship is it doesn't reflect the story you're supposed to be telling. Okay, when we gather together to worship as the people of God, we are telling the entire world and we are telling each other the story of God. We're telling each other the gospel story, and we need to make sure that the way we worship accurately reflects the story of God. And so if we get the story right, then we'll get our worship right. Okay, so we need to remember the story. So notice what Paul says. Verse 23. He reminds him of the story. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Okay, so what's the point? Why does Paul switch and tell the story instead of just tell them what to do? Okay, and I think, again, it's because the way that we practice our worship needs to reflect the story of God. Now, in the story that God tells, are rich people better than poor people? <laughs> That's not a hard question, right? In the story that God tells, are rich people better than poor people? Okay, are masters better than slaves? Are Jews better than Gentiles? Are men better than women? No, okay. In the story that God tells, in his kingdom, we are equals as brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God Jesus, right? So if we worship in a way that shows that we are divided, then all that shows is that we haven't really understood the gospel. Okay, when we worship, we proclaim that the death of Jesus has bought peace and freedom, and our practice needs to reflect that. Fair enough? Okay, so the story we tell in communion is the same story that we used to tell in Passover. Okay, we were enslaved, but now we're free. We used to be in captivity, but now we are on our way to the promised land. Okay, we used to have pagan gods over us, but now we just have the one true God. Right, when we take communion today, we need to understand our story. Right, so notice the practical advice then that Paul gives them. Verse 27, he says, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, 
eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not have come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. Okay, so the solution Paul gives, he says, okay, rich people and poor people, you need to eat together. If you're coming around one table, you need to come around one table. But I want you to notice throughout this text, Paul tells us if we want to participate in communion in the healthiest and the most connecting way possible, uh, it requires us looking in several different directions at once. And so what I'm about to share with you, this is at the bottom of your bulletin. I gave you a bunch of bullet points. You can write stuff down. Um, This is one of those things that may be a little too simplistic, maybe a little too cute. Uh, To be honest, this is something that a lot of times when I see other preachers do this kind of thing, it makes me cringe a little bit. Um, but maybe this is helpful, right? It's just a way of thinking through what are all the different directions we're supposed to be looking uh, as we take communion if we want to accurately reflect the story that God is telling of his great kingdom. Fair enough? So this is a little simplistic. Don't take it too literally, uh, but I think it's important. All right, so in communion, we look several different directions. First, we look back to Jesus' death and resurrection. Now, Uh, traditionally, when we've taken communion together in our churches, uh, most of the communion talks that we have, we focus really good on Jesus' death, and we don't often focus nearly as much on his resurrection, uh, and yet it has to be both. Uh, A lot of people were crucified. Only one person raised himself from the dead. Um, When we take communion, we need to remember the death of Jesus and his resurrection, remember the historical story that our practice is rooted in. Okay? Remember Jesus. All right, also, Paul says very specifically, we need to look in in self-examination. We need to take a moment to reflect on ourselves as we gather around the Lord's table. Um, it kind of hit me recently that I am now this is going to sound weird. I'm now at an age where I can remember my parents when they were my age. That makes sense? So whenever I was Sam's age, my five-year-old, um, when I was five, my parents were my age that I am now, and I can remember being five and looking at my parents. So I remember my parents when they were 35, right? So that's weird to me. Okay, so I was talking to my mom the other day, and I said, okay, mom, it's weird because I feel like I'm just making this up as I go along, right? Kids are hard. Raising kids is hard. Doing adulting is hard. And I feel like a lot of times I don't know what I'm doing, okay? But whenever I was a little kid and you were my age, it seemed like you and dad had everything figured out and you knew everything that you were doing. And my mom laughed at me, okay? And she said, we didn't have it all figured out either. We were making it up as we went along. I says, well, at what age do I not make it up as I go along anymore? She says, I have no idea. I'll tell you if I get there. Right? Okay, all of that to say, um, no matter who's here, no matter how well put together they might look, uh, nobody is perfect. Okay? Nobody has their life fully all put together. Nobody has a heart that is completely Christ-like. All of us have stuff that we are working on. All of us are still figuring it out one day at a time. 
all of us are still struggling every day to wake up and say, what is it going to look like for me to be like Jesus today? Okay, you are not worthy to come to the Lord's table. You are here because of God's grace. In this text, Paul very specifically commands us to self-examine. Right, we leave our pretensions at the door. Uh, you remember the story in John chapter 4 where Jesus meets the woman at the well? Um, and he's not supposed to talk to her because she's one of those women, right? And Jesus goes up to her and they have this conversation back and forth. Uh, and at the very end of it, Jesus says, The day is coming when worshipers will worship me, what? In spirit and in truth. Okay, I think when we worship in spirit, it's we're worshiping with the spirit of God here with us. I think in truth that he's talking about is he's saying, you come before God as you really are. Okay, and with her, she was coming as a very broken woman, right? For each one of us, we are coming here completely broken. Okay, and yet we worship in spirit and we worship in truth as we really are. When we gather around the Lord's table, we take some time to reflect on who we are as broken people and be grateful for the grace of God that allows us to be here anyways. Fair enough. Okay, we don't just look back, we also look in. Uh, also, this text talks about how we look up. Okay, we look up for fellowship with God. Okay, we talked about this for a while last week. We've talked about it a lot today already, but we believe that God is worshiping here with us. We believe that the fundamental problem of sin that we read about in the very beginning of Genesis is that our sin has separated us from God. And yet, because of the body and blood of Jesus, we now have a restored relationship with God. Okay, so, as we participate in our communion together, we recognize that it is a bonding experience. It is an experience we get to share with God Almighty as part of our restored relationship bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Fair enough? Okay. Uh, number next. We also look around. Okay, we look around for fellowship with each other. We recognize that part of what it means to be part of the body of Christ, uh, part of what it means to, quote, discern the body that Paul talks about in this text, is it means that we are part of the body. Okay, Christianity is not a solo sport. Uh, one of the things that is trending across churches um, is online attendance. Okay, there's a lot of churches today that don't track their physical attendance in their buildings anymore. Instead, they track their online attendance because they've got a lot more people watching their services online than they have actually physically coming to their building. Okay? Um, now, I am very glad that we have an online presence and that we've got things like sermons on podcast, right? If you want to hear my sermons, by the way, they're on podcast. There's, they're available to you. Uh, you can join the three people that regularly listen every week, and you can hear... And my mom is one of them, so just so you're aware. I think Tommy, who sets them up, is one of the other ones. So I don't know who number three is, but if you know, you can let me know, and that'll be great. And no, I'm grateful that we have opportunities to, to um, that I can listen to other sermons from other preachers and learn things, and that there's, there's opportunity to be part of the group when you're not able to be here, and things of that nature. And yet, I recognize there is a danger um, in moving away from a physical gathering of Christians because you cannot get the same experience from your living room at home as you can get by being a part of the body of Christ gathered together. Okay? We need each other. Now, uh, for a number of people who are here, um, there's various reasons, various things that have gone on in your life that, is that have caused you to keep your distance from the body. Okay? A lot of folks come late, leave early, 
Um, don't engage with people. Uh, there's a lot of people here that have been wounded somewhere else or have other traumas that have gone on in their life that have caused them to keep a distance from the body. Okay, and if you're in that boat, I hope that you will realize this is a loving family uh, and that we want to draw you closer in uh, and that you will get a lot more out of your experience as part of the Gwinnett Church of Christ if you'll plug in a little bit deeper. Okay? We as a church want to be here for you. Okay? And part of what it means that we gather around this same table is that we are here to offer healing and hope and connection um, and all the good stuff with each other. Fair enough? When we participate in communion, we also look around. Right? By the way, any of you ever had a Thanksgiving meal in which you didn't talk to anybody? Um, or you didn't see anybody, where you just sat and stared at the plate right in front of you and didn't engage. No one's ever done that? That's just a thought. Okay. Not only do we look around, uh, we also look forward. Notice specifically Paul says in this text, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Okay, to be quite honest, if this world isn't going to get any better than it is right now, then I don't want to do this anymore. We live in a very broken world. Uh, we can turn on the TV for about five minutes and see just how broken the world around us is. And yet we gather together proclaiming that it will not always be this way. Part of what we proclaim when we take communion is that this is not the end of the story. We proclaim that Jesus is coming back, that he will establish his full kingdom in all of its glory, and that we will get to reign with him for all of eternity. When we take communion, we are also looking forward. All right, and finally, uh, we also look outward. Okay, we are part of proclaiming God's story to the world. When we gather together in our church buildings, the world really does notice. They may try as hard as they can to ignore us, but they can't ignore us. They notice what we're doing. Okay, and when we gather, we are proclaiming God's story to the world. I was listening to a podcast earlier this week about church growth, um, and it was based on a study of churches in America that are currently growing. Uh, and according to this one guy, apparently, uh, he says that about 90% of church growth happens by word of mouth. Okay? It's not about the programs the church runs. Um, it's not about how good-looking the preacher is. Uh, it's not about any number of other things. It is about people telling people in their lives about the story that they are living in community with Jesus Christ. Okay? If we want to be part of a growing church, what that means is we need to think, how am I proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ to people around me? How am I talking about the body that I'm a part of? How am I proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes? All right, I hope that as we continue to participate in our worship, as we continue to participate in communion, that we are always mindful of the story that we're telling. I hope that we're mindful of the story that we get to be a part of. I hope that we recognize what an awesome privilege it is to be a part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I hope that we will continue to do this every week um, and that we'll do this in a way that is truly honoring to God that really is in spirit and in truth. All right, at this time in our worship service, we are going to sing a few verses of an imitation song. During the singing of this song, I will be down front. One of our shepherds will be down front. Uh, this is a time in our service where we as the church want to be here for you. We would love to pray with you or talk with you about anything that is going on in your life. Um, and so if you have a need, you can come forward during this song. Before we sing it, though, I'd like to close this with a word of blessing.
May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you and give you peace. Let's stand and sing.